that it is. Hey, good morning. It's Bruce, Andrea, and Cheese. Andrea Darlis in for Judy Day. Thank good you morning. for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you being uh, in the hood with us today. It is a beautiful morning. All right? Enjoying the weather, for goodness sakes. I, I, I was just noticing. You better enjoy it now, because apparently it's... It's going to turn into Chicago pretty soon. Oh, yeah, it is. It's going to get down into the chilly parts. Yeah, we traditionally, it, it's not Halloween unless it, it's, it's a monsoon. Okay. Or it's freezing cold. I've heard you, snow. You have to zip up the coats over the Halloween costumes oh, for that the, just the ruins poor it, kids. Doesn't it? That ruins yeah, it for it the poor kids. Speaking of the kids, uh, CPS, Chicago Public Schools, has a variety of issues. Boy, am I being nice. Okay, I'm trying. That is a nice way to put it. A variety of issues, some of which they're dealing with, some of which you could make an argument they're not. But there is no debate, I guess you would say, on how many kids are literally enrolled in school, and we're learning. I would say once again, yeah, enrollment is shrinking, and it's shrinking at a near record. Pace. Yeah, it's shrinking a lot, Bruce. CPS enrollment has dropped this time again by 10,000. I mean, think about that. 10,000 fewer kids than last year. Right. It's now 330,411 students. And, and, and actually, educators are like, is this the pandemic? Did we lose kids? Are they staying at home? Are they being homeschooled? There's well, so many different factors. If that was factors. true, and, and if, that was the, the, if those factors were, you would see that. In other school districts. I mean, if, if it was a, well, the pando led to less kids go, okay, well, that's not true in other areas. Right, right. Because you're not seeing the, the kids from CPS go to differing school districts. You know, you're not right. seeing Northbrook or Glenview or Orland, wherever it is. You're not seeing those numbers skyrocket either. Or go down. Exactly. Here's one of the interesting things. You, you, I don't know if you've, you've heard the conversation, you know, the, the Chicago Public Schools is the second largest school district in America. Yeah. Right? Not anymore. No. It's actually third now. I know. It's gone down 3%. That's yeah. kind of a lot when you're it's, looking at all those numbers. It's shrinking. Yeah. And, and and to be clear, the city of Chicago is not shrinking. We, we've talked about people leaving. Uh, Illinois, as a state, lost citizens, according to the next census. But Chicago has remained relatively steady. It's more the rural areas uh, and suburbs that have lost people. But you can't even say, well, there's there's less families in Chicago, so therefore there's less kids going to school. No. Right. No. People are choosing not to go to school, not to send their kids to school. And I don't think all of it is is based strictly on education. No, I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to, I don't, I don't, now that we talk about it, I don't know if a lot does have to do with the pandemic, you know? And yeah. it's crazy that they're graduating fewer kids. You know, last week, I know you guys talked about too, the high school numbers came out, you yeah, know. Yeah, the, the best high schools yeah, in had, Chicago. Walter yeah. Payton Walter was right Payton. at the top of the list and yeah. it, as one of the premier high schools in the country. Yeah, Northside okay. College Prep. Yeah. All these great schools Solid are in schools. there. Good for them. Yeah, and then you get down and not even into the hundreds, Bruce. You're getting down into like the the 20s and the 30s of the rankings. Of the rankings, yes, and you're seeing the graduation rates and I was stunned it would say 61%, 63%. And that's so basically, relatively once you get out, high. Once you get outside of the top 10, yeah. It just falls off a cliff. It totally does. It goes from like 90 to 60. Right. Or, they, they, you know, not like 90, 85, 80, yeah, Where you would yeah, think, right? Where it gradually goes down. It just, no. like you said, There's Bruce, two different types of schools. It goes right off the cliff.
high performing and failing. Yes. There, there's, there's nobody, nobody in the CPS is getting a C plus. Right. There's, right, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no middle ground anymore. There's no like right. average student anymore, which is most kids are. So I, I have friends here in the city who send their kids to CPS schools mm-hmm. and they do it on purpose. Yeah. Because they think they, they should support the, Local schools, they should support the school district. They want to send their kids to a a public school. Um, Maybe they can't afford uh, to go to a private school or have have those options. But the problem you run into is it's a law of diminishing returns. Yeah, that's true. As fewer students show up, it affects funding. Right. Because money goes with the the student, you know, the, the head of the student... Uh, each student equates to X number of dollars. Yes. So losing 10,000 students, I don't know how to do that math, means CPS loses a lot of money. Here's what I don't see CPS doing. I don't see CPS. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a management term. Right-sizing. Yeah. Making up for the difference. They should be shrinking. They should. There should be... Fewer schools, fewer teachers, fewer administrators, fewer bus drivers. If there's fewer students. Yeah. But that's not how it works. CPS continues to spend more money every year, continues to grow, and there's fewer and fewer students. Right. Right. It's going the wrong you're going the wrong way. It really is. And and how do you make up for that? You know, because you you're losing yeah. there's six hundred and fifty three schools in the Chicago public school system. Ten thousand students, you know, divide that. That's a, that's that's a large chunk of students, and Absolutely. like you say, you know, people aren't—they're leaving the state of Illinois, but they're not necessarily leaving Chicago. That number's staying the same. So, using that math, though, I think we would be remiss. Yeah, hope that word means what I think it means. That it is certain areas and certain parts of town mm-hmm. where the largest number of students are disappearing. I agree. Absolutely and and, agree. and it it all it does is further the haves and have nots that 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 gap you said once you get outside the top ten high schools in Chicago it just well it, the top ten ain't losing students like this mm-hmm. the, people want to send their kids to the which proves a point it's not CPS writ large that parents have a problem with it's specific schools right it's specific areas yeah either where education isn't a priority in the household where there's economic factors that prevent uh kids from attending school uh there are instances uh, where teachers have said i know why some of my kids didn't come back yeah because during the pandemic maybe their parents lost jobs these kids went to work yeah they couldn't go to their senior year in high school. They went and got a job. That's true. And many of these, to your point, Bruce, are in these areas where maybe the, the student, or I don't want to say the, to, the, the, the yeah. teenager, is having to take care of a parent. Maybe it is, you know, a, a, not, a, not a two-parent household. Right. But the point, the point is that, that when you have these high-performing, quality high schools in Chicago, in CPS... So it's not that you can't do it. <laughs> it's it's not it's it's not that there are no CPS schools worth going to. It's just that there's a large number of them that aren't worth going to. Absolutely. And some of them there's a waiting line to get into. Absolutely. And this goes to another point too. So many schools over the past say 5 10 years 
taking COVID out of the out of the picture, have either closed or consolidated. And then the parents and the students will get upset, rightly so, of course, because their school's closing. But this is why they're consolidating, because there's not enough kids enrolled in school A right. or B, and then so they have to consolidate and you, go to you C. You have to do that. Yeah. Like, you don't have a choice. Right. Right. And and you know it's it's you worry at least I do that the city of Chicago CPS are they've got their head in the sand. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. This is we are not losing students in droves. Uh, uh, nothing to see here, people. Do, do you know what I mean? Right, right. It'll be fine because looking at it from the outside. And again, I don't have a child that goes to uh, CP. I don't have a child that goes to any school for yeah. God's sake. So let's no, keep that either. in mind, right there. Uh, but I can look at this and say, a congratulations, CPS. You're doing some things really well in some areas. You're completely failing in other areas, and you're shrinking. Yeah. If you were a business and 10,000 fewer customers showed up, wouldn't there be like, oh, what are we doing around here, guys? We might have to make some cuts. Totally, right? We're going to have to change our marketing. We're going to have to do something to get these kids back. Well, we'll keep talking about it. You believe in ghosts uh, as we get close to Halloween. You know, there's a lot of people out there that that do believe in ghosts, that... that uh, um, have had experience, if you will. 312-591-8900. I have not one but two ghost stories. Oh, God. Do you really? Paranormal stories. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one of them uh, ties into radio. I was working at a radio station in Arizona, and I was the overnight DJ. I know you find that hard to believe. <laughs> they wouldn't let me on when the sun was up. I was on, you know what my shift was? 2 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. Yes. What was your on-air name, persona? Did you have one? It was. It's Bruce St. James. I don't have another one. Big Bad Bruce. Oh, oh yeah, no. it wasn't like Spinning that. Spinning the dots. Yeah. No, but it was a t- top 40 station, okay. you know. Just playing the hits, making them count. And uh, <laughs> pumping the wattage <laughs> to your cottage. Yeah, baby. Um, oh, so, God. Uh, I'm there, and when you work... In the middle of the night, you're the only one there. Yes. There's nobody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm in the building completely by myself, and I'm in a studio. You know, you've seen radio, TV studio. Yeah. And I see an image move past one of the windows. So, you know, we're all surrounded by windows, and I'm like, oh, well, somebody must have come in the building. You know, sometimes people come in late at night and do work. So I go out in the hallway, <laughs> and I see turning the corner uh, a man in a like a blue suit. Okay. For real. Is this for real? You saw and, a man in a blue suit. And I'm like, well, who the hell's that? I wasn't scared yet because he needed a whole bunch of keys to get in and everything. So I go down to the end of the hallway, and it's like our lunchroom. There's nobody there. There's no door. You can't leave from there. I'm like, what the hell was that? Oh, All right. Weird. Well, I, I'm like, well, that's bizarre. But, but I got to go. Songs are running out. I need to go. <laughs> and I go back, and I didn't think a bunch about it. We're sitting around talking a couple weeks later, and I mentioned, oh, yeah, somebody was in here the other night. Uh, walk, walking around, and I kid you not, my boss goes, was it a, was it a middle-aged man in a blue suit? And I go, yeah, who, is that like our new sales manager? Like, who, who is that? And they go, that's the ghost that lives in the building. And I go, what? Come on. And they said, you're not the first one to see them. No. Um, we don't know more about it, but, and, and then other people in the room were like, 
Yeah, I, I saw him like three years ago. Do you we, know? Do you know who all, he is? Though, is there no! like a backstory to this guy? No like, idea. This because the radio station wasn't that old. The building wasn't like from the fifties or anything. Like I, I was like, so we'd all had experiences. Of, nobody could explain who the guy in the blue suit is walking around in the middle of the night in the radio station. Okay, so I have to ask. Middle of the night. So I would. I how lucid? You know, you you weren't. You know, well, I don't drink or okay. anything. No. So I. I mean, I um. <laughs> So I would talk to the ghost. I would do requests for him and things like that. So did I just you, made the ghost a part of my show. No. Okay. No. I just made the ghost part of the, part of the show. Did you give him a name? The ghost. The ghost. It's <laughs> original. Well, I didn't I didn't want to come up with a name that wasn't his because then I thought, well, maybe that'll piss him off. Ooh, that'll yeah. anger him. That'll like haunt you. Right. So, but he was a friendly ghost. He didn't do anything weird. He just would walk around the radio station. It's wild. I think, I think I, I think I mock because I'm sort of envious. I've never had, all right, knock on whatever, mm-hmm. you know, karma. I've never had a ghost experience, so I don't really believe in them. Right. So here's something, and I don't, I don't know if you call this a ghost experience. Explain to me what this is. Okay. I was in Georgetown, downtown Washington, D.C., Georgetown. And I was with my mom, my dad, and my little brother. And I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Okay. And we're walking along Georgetown, uh, walking down the streets, you know, shops and things like that. Things like Magmile, right? And the way I would describe it is that my vision got very focused. Like, Ooh. I became very, like, tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And the colors changed. And things got very old. It, all of a sudden, it, like it stopped looking modern, and it started looking very like hundred years old, two hundred oh, like years an, old, like antiquey kind of. And I suddenly knew what was around the corner. I knew there was something around the corner that I wanted to see. Ooh! And I took off running, and I turned the corner. I ran right into a fence. No, but the fence wasn't there in my mind. Like, I knew what was around the corner, and it wasn't a fence. It wasn't a fence. And my mom and dad are laughing hysterically at me because I took off running and ran headlong into a fence. And that's all they saw, right? That's what they saw. Running into the fence. And I tried to explain, no, that fence is not supposed to be there. What are you talking about? No, no, no. I knew what was there. like, Like, this was here, and you could turn the corner. I could go down. Like, I could describe it to them. Ooh, that, that's weird. That's is that almost weird? Like, what is that? That's like almost like reincarnation or something. Like is that maybe, another life? Maybe, yeah. Like you'd been there before. Yeah. Like Somewhere in Time, that movie with Christopher Reeves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he goes back in time because he swears he's been at the same hotel. Yeah, like I in, felt comfortable. I knew exactly yeah. what everything I knew where everything was. Oh, that's... Except for this bleeping fence that <laughs> I ran into. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind so of So you've wild. never had a, 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 something no, like that? Those, no, are, those but, are my two... But, I don't know if that's a ghost or, yeah, paranormal, whatever. But I've heard stories about that. I mean, and so I I do believe that. You know, okay. I absolutely believe that that happened to you. I I almost, I don't want to wish I'd had something like that because then I think I'd be freaked out, you know, because things, like I hear. I was crying because ball. I ran headlong into a fence. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd cry Idiot. too if that well, I told you, to my me. kids saw the ghost at Willowbrook Ballroom. Come Ooh. on, Willowbrook is it Ballroom. true? Yeah. The, I don't know which kids were sitting there haunted. looking up this stretch of like up into the ballroom and they're like a lady in a white dress is waving at us telling us to say you know to come up and say hi and i look up there and there's nothing and i'm like okay you guys i don't know what you and then somebody asked me what did they say oh they said they saw a lady in a white dress up there like waving at him and they're like oh yeah that's the willow book ballroom ghost 
There's a, an old story where she was hitchhiking home because her boyfriend and her got in a fight. She got hit by a car and died. And now she haunts the, the is, ballroom. That's not the same ghost as Resurrection Mary, right? Because uh, I know they had I cemetery. Because it's, it's along Archer one? Avenue, right? Yeah, it's, it's right along there. there. Mm-hmm. Right, Justin? Same, yeah. Same ghost. Oh, see now, same ghost. I, I totally, same ghost. I believe that. Like you saw, or your kid saw, saw that. Yeah, Bruce saw no this man in the blue suit. I completely believe that. Right, because if I was the only one that had ever seen it, you could make an argument like, "Yeah, you took too much freaking Benadryl that day, or something." <laughs> right. Other right. people like other saying. people. Have seen I, it. Well, and and it was one of those things where other people had seen it, but it wasn't until I brought it up that people thought, "Oh." We're not the only one. See, you know what I'm saying? Like, every, the other people were like afraid to bring it up. Right. And I believe, here's why I believe it because I don't think, so a friend of mine was a, she used to cut my hair years ago. She was my, my stylist and she lived in a building downtown that was allegedly haunted. I forget where it was. Um, but somewhere in River North lived in the building and she would always feel like she was, she'd wake up in the middle of the night just feeling like there was pressure on her neck, like she was being choked. Oh. She ended up moving because, because she of said it. it. Because of it, yeah. Mm. And I believed her 100%. She found out that somebody had died in that apartment. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Know, like she was strangled or something, but I know. Okay. So I, I, All right. it's out well, there. I happy think. Halloween ahead yeah. of time, right? <laughs> in, hey, there's still time for our criminal of the day. And shout out to the yet unnamed Wyoming man who is in the running for dad of the year. Oh, you guys tell me what you think on this one. Allegedly, the man was involved in a domestic dispute and police were called before they could arrive. The man took off in his truck, taking his four and 15 year old sons with him. Dad was pulled over a short time later and admitted he'd been drinking, but provided a unique excuse to avoid getting out of a DUI. He wasn't driving. The four-year-old was. That's right. The man told sheriff's deputies that the toddler was sitting on his lap and was operating the truck and that the four-year-old was not drunk, unlike him. Yep. Does that count? True story. Deputies learned the man was on probation for a previous DUI arrest and was supposed to use an interlock device on his truck, which he didn't have, although I suppose a four-year-old could have pulled it, right? He refused field sobriety tests and was arrested for his second DUI offense, driving without an interlock device and a probation violation. So for thinking that telling cops your four-year-old was driving is a better excuse than you had been drinking, you, <laughs> Wyoming man, are the Bruce St. James Show criminal of the day. All suspects described above should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law, no matter how crazy they are. Hey, good morning. Happy Thursday. We're going to jump right into the 6 o'clock hour, taking a look at the big stories people are talking about. And cheese will start us off. Yeah, Houston. They got their stuff together last stuff. night, finally, and dominated the Braves to even the World Series at one game apiece. The series now travels to Atlanta on Friday night for Game 3. Andrea? Well, the, Chicago, the former Chicago Blackhawks player who's at the center of that sexual assault investigation yeah is speaking out for the first time. Kyle Beach, drafted by the Hawks in 2008, he says he's choosing to speak out about what happened to him to try to help others. We're going to have some of that audio in a little bit. Thank you. Uh, Well, Mayor Lightfoot's $16 billion budget was passed. Chicago aldermen voted to approve it and move it forward. One of the reasons why it went through so smoothly and quickly... There's a hell of a lot of bennies in there for all of the aldermen in there. Yes, they all have a price, but a shocker, right? So the the story of this, I, I, I'm going to call it a tragedy as of right now. 
on the movie set in New Mexico. The one where actor Alec Baldwin shot and killed uh, a camp, the camera operator mm-hmm. and wounded a director using a loaded gun that, and again, I, I, I'm being cautious with my words, that he believed was a prop. Yes. Not a real gunner wasn't loaded. Um, I call it a tragedy as of right now because, well, there's a chance it may turn into a crime. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not sure right now if it was entirely an accident. And we're learning more information about it. Actually, joining us right now is ABC News crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett. Brad, good morning. Good morning. So you, you, you hear the strain that I'm having. I call it a tragedy and an accident right now, but in listening to the sheriff yesterday, I'm still not sure if potentially a crime was committed. What did you take from this? Well, you, you know, you have to look at a couple of things generally. I don't know New Mexico law, but you look for intent and negligence. Okay. So was there intent to harm the cinematographer? My guess is the answer is no. That's, that would be possible, but probably remote. Um, was there negligence involved? In other words, the safety protocols that they have in place, were they not followed? Uh, obviously, you know, all of us scratched our head when we heard the word live rounds mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a movie set at all, knowing what safety precautions we have to go through on ranges to to qualify and shoot combat courses of of safety and when you have live rounds when you have empty weapons etc so be that what it may in this case the 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 first director i guess handed alec the weapon and said it was cold meaning it's not going to fire anything and so it, it appears to me that he drew and, and did what we call dry fire, which is something you practice on a range to work on your trigger pull, okay? So you, you draw it and you fire it, thinking in his case it would go click, right? Well, obviously it didn't go click, it had a live round in it. So how that catastrophe could have happened is really beyond almost everyone I've talked to, because the armorer, the person who's in control of all the weapons, and you're going to have basically... Uh, most movies sets three types of weapons, real live weapons, maybe empty, like Alec Baldwin apparently had in his hands. You have ones that are real guns, but they're not able to shoot, like the barrels plugged, some other things to make it so they won't, they're just inoperable. And then you have plastic replicas that little, you know, look like a nine millimeter or look like a revolver. Um, and they use the word that there were three guns there. I'm going to guess that were the three guns. And I assume he meant to grab the second one instead of the first one, which would have gone click, but not fired. Um, So, you know, what's the problem here? I will tell you that I've read interviews of enough armorers on movie sets to say they won't let anybody hand a gun to anybody else unless they do it. Mm. Because they will double check. I mean, one armor I read yesterday said he even looks down the barrel of the gun to make sure... If, in fact, it has a blank in it, you can tell if it has a blank versus uh, a live round, okay. not but by the back of it, but by the front of it. Go ahead. Boy, Brett, Brett this is probably a crazy question, but in, in this, you know, and, and I, I think I know what the answer might be, but in this day and age of computer-generated graphics, why, is there, why are there even, you know, blanks or any these these bullets 
I know there's not supposed to be live rounds, but why is there any, why are there even um, guns on sets like this? You know, and they're pointing. He's pointing directly at the camera. Why can't they add that in afterwards? You know, either the the flashbang or the sound effect. You know, it just seems like these precautions should have been in place. You know, years ago. Uh, well, they are. They 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 do have that, and, and and it's my understanding that there's two reasons they don't authenticity. So it really looks like Alec Baldwin fill in the blank star firing a weapon, Daniel Craig in 007 movies, and it looks real because of there's fire coming out into the barrel. The smoke and all that, yeah, the, the sound, yeah. yeah. But, but with a blank. And what we'll do, if you shoot a blank, someone like the cinematographer would have been just far away, and she would have had plexiglass probably in front of her. It wouldn't have helped her on a live round. Mm-hmm. But on a blank round, it does shoot, can shoot a small amount of wadding, if you were literally standing in front of Alec Baldwin, could really harm you. If you got shot in the head at point blank range, like happened to Brandon, uh, not Brandon Lee, but the guy before him yeah. in the 80s. Huxley, put, put a, yeah. yeah, put a gun to his head and the concussion of the wadding that came out killed him. So exclude all that for a second. Mm-hmm. That's what typically would have happened if they would have fired a blank round with cameras in front of the actor. So... You know, again, live rounds anywhere, either on a set or, in my view, even on the property. I get why you have live rounds away from a set completely to teach an actor how to shoot. Mm -hmm. What does a real gun feel like? What does it feel like when it really goes off? Mm. Because you want them to look authentic. So between a a firearms instructor and an armorer, they're going to train he or she how to shoot and I mean, I've heard actors interviewed. I mean, they have spent literally hours on ranges and combat courses learning how to proficiently shoot, so it looks real. Right. So they, yeah, so that they don't they don't look like a complete newbie holding a gun, firing a gun, et cetera. We're talking to Brad Garrett, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. Um, again, that press conference yesterday, the sheriff and the DA spoke. Do, do we think that there's going to be criminal charges coming? I mean, is this? You, you mentioned the word negligence. I mean somebody's responsible here. Somebody's responsible. Is it the armor? Well, if the armor loaded the guns, then it has to start. It's a, I think it's a, she, it started with her, uh, that did she just make a mistake? Thought she was putting a blank, mm-hmm. uh, in a weapon and then she put a live round in. I, I don't know. It, it has that feel to it. So, you know, was that her intention to do that? Uh, I would say no. Uh, under New Mexico law, is there something about negligence in charging people? There probably is, but does any of what we're talking about fit the definition under New Mexico law of negligence? Maybe. Interesting. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. We're going to keep an eye on it, Brad. Thanks for your insight into it. Uh, we do appreciate it. ABC News crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett. I got a, a, a tweet from Mike. Mike's a trucker. Hey, Mike. Shout out to Mike. He said, why is it everyone's responsibility to check out and make sure a gun is safe unless uh, unless you're an actor? Is it because they're just portraying a responsible person? He said, as an ex-Marine, if anyone hands me a weapon of any kind, the first thing I do is make sure the chamber is clear and check uh, to see what's inside the clip. These people shouldn't be able to avoid responsibility by saying, oh, I didn't know. I don't necessarily disagree with that, Mike, but here's my point. As an ex-Marine, my guess is you're a hell of a lot better versed in firearms than Alec Baldwin yeah. or or yeah. any an actor who is not a maybe a gun enthusiast and they have to rely on somebody else right. on some level to tell them what's going on. 
That song might harken back to better days for the Hawks as they've started off a little slow. Might be a nice way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, Andrea, and Cheese. And we're learning more now about this entire scandal uh, that, that, that goes back over 10 years with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, specifically, we're now hearing, and I would say for the first time, from the player who was the genesis, was at the middle of this entire episode which led to just yesterday the firing of general manager other executives this young man he's not that young anymore right actually spoke yeah so it's kyle beach 31 years old right now he's playing professionally in germany he has come forward bruce as the john doe the former blackhawks player as you say who filed a lawsuit against the team for how they mishandled his sexual assault allegations going all the way back to 2010 before the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. I think there were a lot of questions about this because we didn't know who the player was. We didn't understand how it works. And um, Kyle Beach said that he initially didn't come forward. Right. When the incident, uh, incident, uh, thank you, again, I'm struggling for words, um, happened to him. But when the coach, who he alleges... Mm -hmm was involved in the incident with him when word came out that he'd been involved with another player. He was willing to, I guess to be a way to put it, to chalk it up to, it happened to me and I moved on. Right, right. Until, it almost sounds like the Catholic Church, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. Until this coach went to another team, went to Canada, I believe. Yes, yes. And the allegations started to come out that he was being inappropriate and there were incidents with newer players. With newer players. It's Brad Aldrich. He was the team's video coach uh, before the Stanley Cup, before all three victories and during, um, before he left. And again, Kyle Beach says that this happened to him. Uh, He was assaulted by Brad Aldrich. And like you said, he kept it buried until new allegations came out. So I'm trying to run this through the filter. You are a teenager yeah you are drafted first round draft pick mm-hmm. in the nhl right i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you probably haven't had a lot of work experience up until then you've been playing hockey yes. a hell of a lot to get to this point you're drafted by the chicago blackhawks mm-hmm. you are put in a situation with a coach that makes you uncomfortable mm-hmm. that you believe something inappropriate happened how many teenage athletes would have the courage to come forward and say something at, at that moment. Right. I, I can I can look at that and go, because I, I got to believe one of the calculations would be, is my career over before it started? Yeah. Am I going to get blackballed for coming forward? Right. Does this happen to all the players? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this... I, is this normal? I mean, is this routine? normal behavior sure, in some sure. way, shape, or form? Yeah. Uh, you know, is this like an initiation into the team? Uh, you you have to believe a lot of that has to be going through the head of a young man, and also that there's a certain shame. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He said, and here's the thing too. He said at the time he thought everyone in the Blackhawks locker room knew, and he said the word spread pretty quickly. So. He did say something at some point yeah. to someone.
Now, Kyle, Again, that's Kyle, Kyle Beach, Kyle the, Beach. The, the former number one draft pick who was the John Doe at the middle of this. Now coming forward, we know who he is. And he says that he did mention it to Paul Vincent, who was the skills coach at the time. Mm-hmm. He did mention it, and he said he'll take it up the chain of command. Yeah, that he took it to his... Coach. Superiors, yeah, and he took it up. And to the, the reason why the Blackhawks had this investigation, the, the the fine, the firings, is because if I'm if I'm to read between the lines, these allegations came forward at a time when the Hawks were on their Stanley Cup run, right, 2010, yeah. and that management. I'm going to go writ large. You know, I, I I don't know how high it went or how low it went. Didn't want to rock the boat Mm-mm. in the middle of this. Like, you know, you lose the dressing room. You, 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 you can't have a distraction. Right. And that they purposely didn't act upon these allegations because they were concerned about how it would affect play on the ice. Yeah, play on the ice and the, and the team's image. I mean, Absolutely. you're going for this first Stanley Cup in 2010 for the first time in decades. Pretty crazy if you think about it. Jonathan Taves, after, after last night's uh, game was actually asked about this. And, you know, he was he was one of the few players still around that was that was there at the time. Mm-hmm. So, hey, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's an amazing story, amazingly bad. I certainly feel for Kyle Beach. You see, when you, you hear him talk, um, that this still impacts him, it still affects him, and it fundamentally changed the course of his career and his life. His life. I mean, if you think about it, right? Hey, good morning. It's uh, Bruce, Andrea, and Cheese, and uh, you don't need to tell people around here that there is a a gun problem, a violence problem, and uh, our, our partners at ABC News have been doing a series all week called Thinking Gun Violence and looking at it from a variety of different angles. Some of the statistics, what they show out there, some of the different things we can learn. Yesterday, we 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 learned more about the uh, the AR fifteen. Uh, the one of the more popular rifles out there. Um, what was behind it? Some of the history behind it. And joining us right now is is Libby Kathy. And Libby is ABC News digital reporter. And and Libby, today you guys are focusing a little bit on the Second Amendment. What does it provide for? And maybe what doesn't it provide for? Tell me a little bit about where you guys are headed with this. Yes. Hi, Bruce. Good morning, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me on. That's right. As part of our ongoing series on rethinking gun violence, as this is a a huge topic in America, I was tasked with exploring, you know, the Second Amendment. And just to set us up here, I'm sure people are very familiar, but generally people in favor of expanding gun rights point to their Second Amendment right as the Mm -hmm. constitutional authority to bear arms, of course. Gun control advocates generally disagree with what they might say is a broad interpretation of the Second Amendment on certain things um, and favor tighter gun control. So I will leave it up to the Supreme Court who's right on that. But what I can speak about today is that constitutional law experts told me the country's current landscape and how the Second Amendment is used in daily debate it's really kind of overrated. And that's because the debate has gone far beyond the Second Amendment's judicial interpretations. And then these days has much more to do with personal and political identity. Interesting. And I, I get that because I've always seen, Libby, if you, if you just read the text of the Second Amendment, I, I will acknowledge 
It's open to there's some interpretation that you could make in there. Am I a member of a well armed militia, as an example, as a gun owner? Like you do you see what I'm saying? Like right, I, right. I, I yeah. will acknowledge that that the wording of it specifically, I can see where people of different ideologies can come to it and, and walk away seeing it very differently. Right. And really what we can go off of is what the Supreme Court has said. So as you said, Bruce, the Second Amendment, it's 27 words. And for a long time, the debate was around what well-regulated militia means. Yeah. Is, is that collectively state militias or can anyone keep a loaded gun at home? Well, it, for, for 200 years, it, it was, I guess, in the American consciousness. So people thought that they may have a right to a handgun. The Supreme Court didn't rule on this to, through, until 2008. And that's that landmark Heller decision saying you do have a right to keep a gun in your home for things like self-defense. But I do want to point out that even in writing the majority opinion at that time, Scalia said that the Second Amendment is not absolute. And he did leave some uh, some uh, ways for states to, to have gun control laws, such as uh, uh, concealed carry weapons or prohibiting that Um Getting a little caught up here. Sorry, yeah. my first radio hit. Oh, um, no, you're doing oh, great. Yeah. Don't be silly. Yes, right. thank you. But, <laughs> but, but getting back to the point, it's just that Anthony Scalia, the, the Supreme Court laid out exceptions that states have chosen well to go well above and beyond what the court necessarily said it could do. And to your point, Bruce, yes, it's 27 words. It's up for total debate. But we can go off what the Supreme Court said in 2008, 2010. Uh, and here in the fall, we're about to hear another big case from them. Yeah. And it, it's almost like there should be an amendment to the Second Amendment, Libby, because, you know, so I'm coming at this from Chicago, obviously, where more crimes are committed with illegal guns. So I'm wondering, should that amendment to the amendment focus more on the illegal gun trade versus laws on like background checks and things of that for legal gun owners who stand behind the second amendment. Right. So as you point out, um, it, this is a huge issue in Chicago and what, what, what might work in, in Fulton or a smaller area that doesn't necessarily work in, in, uh, in, 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 in a suburb like Chicago. So, you know, it's hard to change the Constitution. It's hard to <laughs> right. get an amendment changed. So that's probably not the best route. What, what one route people are going, and it goes back to states having this influence of, of gun laws as opposed to the federal government acting, is looking at preemption laws. And, and this is uh, actually started because of Morton Grove, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. You're probably more familiar with than me. But back in 19, uh, 1981, I believe, uh, a Chicago man sued under the Second Amendment a local ordinance banning handguns. This was obviously before the Supreme Court and Heller said it was okay to have a Second Amendment in your house. But this was a huge loss. Um, but around that time, the NRA formed a political action committee, and they saw the preemption movement, which is getting uh, states to essentially pass laws to tell cities and governments, you can't pass anything that regulates guns more than what we have. This movement really took off with the help of the NRA. And just, just quick stats here. So in 1979, two states had preemption laws, which, again, means that lower governments can't do much more than state governments to regulate. By 1989, after the NRA started getting influence, after Morton Grove outside of Chicago, that lost, 18 states had full preemption laws. Okay. Today, 42 states have them. Yeah. So what we're really seeing is more watering down to what a local government can do to regulate guns in the first place. And that's a problem, like I said, when an area like Fulton might want to regulate more than what Chicago's doing. But clearly it's a problem uh, across the board. Mm -hmm. Libby Caffey uh, joining us right now, ABC News digital reporter. You did an awesome job. Thank you very much.
Thank you so much. And please check us out online. We have a lot more stories coming out this week. ABCnews.com slash gun violence. Yeah, will do. Thanks, Absolutely. Libby. And uh, and we've also linked to it. I uh, tweeted out uh, the the link to this because there's a lot of statistics and a lot of information in there. And, and I will credit ABC. And I, I think you heard it with Libby there. Yeah. This isn't pro or anti. This is a discussion about facts. Absolutely. Uh, and gun violence is a thing. Like yes. that's that's not a that's not a partisan issue. It is a thing. What to do with it becomes a partisan issue, yes. without a doubt. But it is interesting how the Second Amendment is used by both of the fringes, I would say, yes, to prove that they're right. Both sides of the aisle. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Both of them use these same 27 words to say, see, you're wrong. I know. It's crazy in and of itself. It will always be up for discussion. I don't think, and I don't think there will ever be an amendment to the amendment. No, I think it is what it is, and you know how each state interprets it or creates their own rules and laws, as Libby stated, is is you know. Yeah, because there is, you know, it is an interesting argument. Should and that whole, I mean, it's basically the supremacy clause goes back to the federal government versus states, also, but. should a local community be able to to make its own laws? The Chicago example, I think what you've seen is no matter how strict Chicago gun laws are, mm-hmm. it's not like the gun doesn't know it can't come across the border from Indiana. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's not like the gun doesn't know it, it can't come in from, from, from the suburbs. Like the strict gun laws in the area, I believe... Have there isn't evidence out there, at least through the statistics, that show the stricter the gun law, the less the gun violence. The stricter the gun laws, you might have fewer law-abiding people that own guns in that area. Yeah, because yeah. they're law-abiding. I've always come down on the side of, amazingly enough, criminals don't follow the law. Right. Huh. Nor so nor true. do they care Amen. what the law is. Yeah. Which is why I've been a gun owner, but. I do it legally. I do whatever the whatever yeah. the rules are. I'm going to follow the rules. I don't want to be a criminal. Right. I want to be a legal gun owner. That's right. So yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. And thanks to our friends at ABC for doing that. Again, you can go to the Bruce St. James on the Twitter machine and uh, find a link to uh, the story and uh, what Libby is talking about right there. Thank you so much, yeah. Sammy. All right, that's outstanding. A little Van Hagar for you, right? Uh, God, I love Sammy. Dave, myself. Remember the video? Oh, He's in the courtroom. Oh, yeah. Jumps up on top me? of the table. Yeah. yeah. Sammy rocks. I know. Uh, good morning. It's Bruce. It's Andrea. It's Cheese. And so I have a question for you. So a study from the people that do studies uh, asked drivers, do you speed specifically excessive extreme 20 miles are over the posted speed limit so 75 and a 55 55 and a 35 do you excessively speed yes i'm just gonna admit it yes i I absolutely do but but let me put a little asterisk by this no 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 here's why here's why because if you're going 75 and a 55 that's, I don't think you're on the expressway. You, I don't that's think that's speeding. a problem. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, here's something interesting. Only ten percent of drivers admitted huh. you're in the minority of people because I admit it. who admit to going twenty miles an hour or over. 
So but, 90% are lying? Yeah, <laughs> right on, Nick. Exactly. <laughs> because they found out that in reality, it's closer to 80-90% of you actually do it. So they're saying, the, the point is, there's a disconnect. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know how fast you're going. You don't know. or You're not aware. Of, but that's kind of what, it, you know, so this is keeping the, up with traffic. Yeah. Yes. But yes. Isn't that the, that's the cop trick. You know, that do you know how fast you were going? Do you know why the police officer asked you that? Ready? You know, come on. I, I, you, what do you what are you supposed so can, to say? Yeah. For a confession, right? For right. number one, they well, no, they, if you admit to speeding, yeah, they go back and if you ever go to court, they say they do it. But also, and I got friends who are cops, I go, I want to know if you were paying attention. Oh. Do you even know how fast you were going? Uh, I, uh, because it, if you say, I don't know how fast I was going, all right, yeah, you weren't paying any attention to what you were doing. You right. see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, I actually tried to fight a speeding ticket one what? time. No, I, I've had many. I've had many. And, wow. And I don't try and... Lead foot You know what? I literally, I don't try and talk my way out of it because I know what I did. I'm like, just just give me the ticket. I know it's coming. Although I haven't had a ticket in a, in a few years, maybe two, three years. But that was for speeding in Evergreen Park. So I, I was, they said, they alleged I was doing 47 and a 35, which I'm just going to say, it's hard to do 35, right? I mean, think about that. Yeah. It's barely, you know, <laughs> you're barely making along. the car move. I love that. Okay? You say you're creeping along. By the way, don't stand in front of a car doing 35 miles an hour. <laughs> just going to throw that out <laughs> yeah, there right now. It's bad okay, for you. Right. Okay, okay but, keep going. But that aside, so I'm doing 47 and a 30, allegedly. Uh, you always have to say I allegedly. went to court. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and fight this. I went to court. The, I said to the judge, I said, Your Honor, I and the, and the police officer didn't show up, which is great. I thought, oh, good. Ooh, yeah. So we all got a I've chance to go up and yeah. explain. You I get thought, out. Oh, I thought, sure thing. Oh, he's not here. So the judge said, I said, Your Honor, I was not going 47 and a 35. And the judge said, how fast do you think you were going? And I sh- obviously, I should have said 34. But I said, I don't know. 38, 39, he said, even three miles over is speeding. One mile over is speeding. Guilty court cost. You admitted to speeding. You admitted to speeding. So if you ever advice to those who do go to court. One mile over is speeding. Yeah, just be like, I wasn't speeding at all. The state of New Mexico used to do that. So, you know, when I I drive a lot, and I drive race cars besides that, but when I'm driving like the truck and trailer, you learn this. When you drove into New Mexico and it said 55, they wrote tickets at 56. No. Wow. And the argument in New Mexico was, it says fifty-five on the sign. Yeah, isn't there a great? Isn't there a grace no. period? No, not I mean, for the longest time in New Mexico. That was the problem. There wasn't. You go to Arizona, you cross the border, they give you ten miles over. And they'll oh, tell they you do. right now. We we don't even stop you until you're uh, you're eleven miles over the speed limit. And do they still do warnings? I don't know. Is that still, still a warnings. thing? Like, do you get a warning or do you just get the ticket outright? I. I have questions. I, depends, depends on how pretty you are. <laughs> that or the mood of the cop, if he's in a bad mood or a good mood. I don't you know. I don't know if that works. I, I've so, tried. I've tried. You know, have you tears. noticed people driving quicker in the last year and a half or so? Did the Pando mm. lead people to drive quicker? And I would say yes. And here's why, though. Why? Less traffic. Yeah. Oh yeah. So if of you course. were commuting every day. You're on the Dan Ryan every morning or afternoon. You know what I'm saying? You're on the Kennedy. Yeah. And it's bumper to freaking bumper all the time. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. You're doing six miles an hour yeah. average. All of a sudden, you show up one day, and it's you and two other cars. 
Put your feet. You feel <laughs> I honestly, you know what I felt like? I'm making up for the time they screwed me before. That's I'm gonna it. hustle. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat up as much freeway as I can while I can. Right. It's like back pay. Like that was my mentality. Retro, exactly. retro speeding. Yeah. I, I was never going fifty five before. So I can do like 85 now, right? And make up for the fact that you made me drive slow before. Tell but, so, tell the police officer who pulls you that over. You think like, that's going to work? Be like, can we split the difference? Let's do an average. Because <laughs> I, was, I was driving like zero yeah. last year. I mean, seriously. I, you know, I stopped earlier, you know, at the red light. You didn't stop. I stopped earlier. You just missed it. I, you, don't, you don't. You focus on the bad. Yeah, you didn't why see the are you good. always focused on the negative you know? when it comes to me and driving? For goodness' sake, is it hard for you to drive slow? Because you race cars, is it yes. hard for you to do fifty-five on the on the expressway? So I don't like getting tickets, uh, and so I play by the rules. I still don't. I play by the ten mile an hour rule. Okay, good. I'll do plus ten, and if I get a ticket for ten uh, for one to ten miles over, okay, cost of doing business. Yeah, there you go. Take chances. Yeah, I'm, I, I get that. But I find, especially around here, <clears throat> 10 miles an hour over, you better be in the far right lane because they are hustling. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. Are, and then I get all excited. Yeah. And then I'm like, <laughs> now it's a race. Yeah, because, well, on, that's it? the bait car now. So That's right. I call it the rabbit. We got a rabbit. Yeah. Yep. 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 Here comes the rabbit, 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 rabbit. <laughs> Oh, good morning to you. A happy Thursday. We're going to jump into our 7 o'clock hour. We're taking a look at the big stories people are talking about. Andrea, start us off. Well, Bruce, Chicago Public School enrollment has dropped again for the 10th straight year. The data showing that most students left for the suburbs, private schools, or homeschooling. Jeez. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot had her $16.7 billion budget Approved. Alderman voted the uh, final vote 35 to 15. It actually passed relatively easily. Most think because, at least for 35 aldermen, there were a lot of good bennies in that, that, that budget cheese. Yeah, well, Houston finally got their stuff together last night, and they dominated the Braves to even the World Series at one game apiece. The series now travels to Atlanta for Game 3 on Friday night. All right. Um. You know, earlier on the show, we, we, we spoke a little bit about the challenges that CPS is having, specifically that it's shrinking. Chicago Public School District is shrinking to the tune of, uh, in the last semester, but about 10,000 students evaporated. Yeah, that's 3% of their, of their entire population, student population. So that is a, a challenge in and of itself. And, and that is something that, that, I'd be curious, and we will obviously be watching, how will CPS um, react? I could certainly argue that if you lost 3% of your students, and they've been losing them pretty consistently, mm -hmm. well, then your budget ought to be subsequently going down as well. Maybe we should be spending less money if there's fewer students. <clears throat> I'll hold my breath on that. But of the students that are showing up, what are... The outcomes, the educational outcomes, and basically, is Chicago Public Schools fulfilling its mandate to educate the children of Chicago? Joining us right now is Ted Dabrowski, and Ted is the president of Wirepoints. Uh, great to have you back on with us, Ted. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. So the numbers out there are 
while they may not be shocking to people because CPS is a pretty easy punching bag, when you actually dig into the numbers, I mean, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? Well, it's ugly in, in, in about every single way you can measure, and, it, and it's really sad. Uh, you know, the, the big thing that came out last week, or this week, I guess it was, was uh, Mary, uh, Lori Lightfoot and others celebrating this 84% graduation rate, a record graduation rate. 84% graduating. Good job. Okay. Yeah, well, and, and that, of course, they can, they can control exactly how many people graduate just by changing the rules. Sure. Uh, but when you look at testing... Uh, which is you know meant to to you know compare people across the state and then some tests across the country, well that's where everything falls apart, because only 26 percent of 11th graders right so these are the kids who are going to graduate the next year only 26 percent can read or do math at the grade level, so you've got a huge disconnect and 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 it's a huge disservice because all we're doing is we're promoting them through the school starting you know way starting way back in third grade where we just promote them through the school. And um, they're not set, they're not ready for life. They're not ready to, to learn. They're not ready to, to work. And um, and yet we celebrate the eighty four percent graduation. It's it's a sorry to call it. It's a, it's a lie. Ted, I will I, show you how bad I am. I would have been one of the uh, not proficient at math. That's like a quarter of the students, isn't it? Uh, one out of four students is that means three out of four are not proficient. And I think you 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 touched on something. I don't think it's fair to blame the 11th grade. Yeah. That no, if you it, get it, to the it, 11th grade and you can't read, write, or do math at that level, that started a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You got off track, yeah. for lack of better terms. Absolutely. I mean, so how do you address that going back to first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, whatever it might be? Well, actually, there are plans. You know, this is not, this is not new stuff. You know, we're talking about beating up on CPS right now. This same stuff's been going on for a long time. Sure. Not just the CPS, but you know, across the country, where you have big, big school districts with you know, big low, uh, low income, high minority uh, rates. And uh, so, so to, the, to your point, look, in the third grade in CPS, just thirty percent of, of black children can read a grade level, and just thirty seven percent of Hispanics can. So, what happens is, is the kids can't. Most of those kids can't read. And they get what's called socially promoted. They just get moved on to the fourth grade because they say, hey, we can't hold these kids back. You know, they'll be out of whack. And that's precisely where the problem starts. And what it means is that they've given up on the kids. That's exactly what it means. They've given up on the kids in the third grade. And by then it's over. Wow. Is the solution, I mean, I I know this this could go, we could have two hours of discussion on this, but is the solution then finding the problem and it's, and, and, getting rid of the stigma of it's okay to hold a kid back or a student back so they can learn to read or or learn, you know, equation, addition, subtraction, whatever it is. Because like Bruce said, this problem is starting years prior to the 11th grade. So is the solution to do that, to to find out, find these kids, target them, and then hold them back for their own good? That, that's, that's precisely it. And it's really not about holding them back. Think about it. It's about knowing that if they're not reading a grade level, Early on in the third grade, you've got to attack that issue because, look, you know, there's a huge amount of studies that say if you can't read in the third grade, well, then the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, you can't read the science requirements. You can't read. You just sure. Can't, you can't learn anything because it's too hard. And so um, it's a spiral. It's a downward spiral. Right. Yeah, it absolutely is. So here's what Florida did. They, they passed a law that said if you're not if you're not reading a grade level. And they have a certain level uh, in the third grade. They will keep you in the third grade, and they create a plan and they attack it. They create a plan to say we're going to teach you how to read. We're going to get you to grade level, and they come up with a plan with with, with the parents, with the assistants, the teachers, 
and say we're going to do that. And that's uh, that's why one way to attack wow. it. And that's why I say, you know, if you really think about caring about the kids, that's what a school district would do. But the system of CPS is so broke that you see what happens. Yeah. I, again, we're talking to Ted Dabrowski, the president of Wirepoints, and I know that you guys uh, uh, have have been writing about it. The, the headline. The headline on, on Wirepoints is how can 84% of Chicago public school students graduate when only 26% of 11th graders are proficient in reading and math? And it is a fair question. And this social promotion, you use that term, and, and, and I think that's really important, this, well, you're supposed to graduate the third grade. You're supposed to, and you just automatically move them on. But that, that gets to the root of, of the issue, which is, well, then you're fundamentally failing in your goal of educating students are you there to educate them or are you just there to move them down the line well you can see it and it, and it happens every single grade you know these, these results we're talking about third grade and 11th grade it's the same throughout the system now if you're lucky enough to go to a magnet school maybe maybe you're you know one of the you come from smart family organized prepared high educated family parents uh, boom, you're going to make it through but if you're in, in a lot of the other schools uh, you're you're in trouble because of the mm. system the system is going to pass you whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not. And it's just the, the, you know, the, the, the low expectations we have of, of these kids. It's wrong. And, you know, and, and, and then we could move on to the whole thing of what's going on with the whole cultural changes and, and you know, the discussions of white supremacy and equity and all that. Let's focus on reading and writing. That's the best way to get you know, equitable outcomes for kids. Ted, really appreciate your, your time, and thanks for uh, shining a light on this. We we do appreciate it. That's Ted Dabrowski, the president of WirePoints. You can go to uh, wirepoints.com. You can see Thank you guys. more of this here. Wirepoints.org. I apologize. Wirepoints.org. And see it. it it's stunning. And, and, it and, is. And, again, it is a fundamental failure. If your goal, if the role of public education is to prepare young people for a productive life in society, right. an employee, whatever. I'm not even talking about college, just getting out of high school. Just life in general. If they can't read or write, read or do math in the 11th grade, you have failed. Oh, you, yeah. you have absolutely failed. What, like, So what are you guys doing again? What exactly were you doing? Because you obviously didn't get to this part. And it's not, to your point earlier, Bruce, it's not because of lack of, of spending on kids. Spending goes up every year. 100,000 kids have left the district since 2000. Yeah. And that's despite a doubling in per-student funding. That's great. We're talking, <laughs> I mean, uh, we talked about guns earlier. We'll do alcohol and tobacco right yeah. now. You know, as, as I've always heard, you know, there's a, there's a federal agency called Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, ATF, mm -hmm. which it should not be a government agency. It should just be called your weekend. Okay. <laughs> the name of a bar. Alcohol, tobacco, yeah. and firearms. But what is it about the Pando? What is it about the last year and a half that caused a lot of you to turn to vices, dare yeah. I say? Now, I, I need to be very, very, very clear on this. I am the teetotaler. Yes. Never have I ever drank alcohol. What about that time when? No. Mm. Never have I ever. <laughs> Smoked a cigarette. Never not even one? Not even no. one little puff. Uh, do candy ones count? Oh, no. A little Ooh, red paint so on the end good. of them? Oh, they were yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Never have I ever done illegal drugs. Or even legal drugs. I mean, other than prescription. Yeah. Okay. Never smoked the marijuana, for example. No, I haven't either. Honest to God. I know. So I'm weird. I will but acknowledge I have, that. I, I, I did drink. Mm. Do my fair share of drinking in college. <laughs> drink that much anymore though i mean glass of wine here and there margarita here and there very People rare. always ask by the way you, you, ever get, 
and I want to say you guys did like, oh, why don't you drink? You know, like I get the why don't you drink a lot, and I'm trying to come up with a good answer, and I'm I'm thinking of answering it with a question. Oh yeah, always do that. Which is, what you should? Why do you ask? Why do you eat mayonnaise? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, why is it such a? Why don't you drink? Why? why? That is interesting, right? I mean, because I was just okay, people. Why deal? do you honestly? Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 I go, why do you? Why? The, maybe, maybe I'm missing out. And apparently, over the pando, there were plenty of reasons oh, for a lot yeah. of people. Because when you take a look at the numbers, the real world numbers out there, how about this? The need for liver donors. I know liver transplants. Has gone through the roof, and they liken it to the heavy drinking during the pando, that more people are in need of liver transplants because they've been saturating themselves with booze. But what, what people do, we're late like home all day just drinking? Have you seen some of these Zoom calls? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> if, true. I, I hope I hope I hope they were drinking because that's about the only excuse right. I can I can give them. Oh God! Was it that difficult that people turned back to 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 alcohol? I, I'm I'm not being overly facetious All right, right now. Maybe if I play devil's advocate, maybe I could see that aspect of it. More people are home; they're having a cocktail, and and you know what? I guess glass half full is that they were home and not on the roads driving; that they're sitting at home drinking. But what's stunning to me is, is this: the use the use the cigarette usage. So cigarette usage has been declining. Yeah. Nick has been trying to make up for it, yep. but it's still been declining. <laughs> yeah. All right. And and I mean, you know, from warning labels to PR campaigns to the, sure. to at least the acknowledgement, I think most people say cigarettes are not health food. Correct. You, you know, okay, can we at least get to that point? Mm-hmm. Then the pando hit. Not only did they stop declining, cigarettes still started going back up. Like shooting up. Is it just stress? Nick? Yeah, stress <laughs> is part of it, sure. <laughs> Why and, not? And cigarettes help with your stress. Yeah, and they help with the weight loss, too, right? Oh, wait a minute. No. Hold on a second. Like, <laughs> you okay, gained that Pando 15, you got to get rid of it. Start I might smoking. think of taking up smoking. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point, because I think I gained some weight, a little bit of weight. I think during, a lot of people did. Uh, during the oh, Pando. Oh, you mean like smoking instead of eating? No, eating instead of smoking. Smoking I, curbs your appetite. That, oh, but, I, okay. but I think I gained weight, because I don't smoke. I've never smoked cigarettes, but... I'm thinking of taking it up now. <laughs> if, if that's Come a weight down, loss Bruce. technique, well, hey. So here's the thing. Count me in, Nick. So follow me on this logic. Um, people that smoke, and they like start with... Nick, when did you start smoking? Uh, Three, four. <laughs> <laughs> He's born with a marble. Uh, let's, let's say 15. 15 years old. So, okay. you know, the, 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 the concern is you smoke for 30, 40 years, you know, the health effects catch, right? I mean, that's the concern. Right. I start smoking now. Those health effects will never catch up to me. Oh, no. Right? Right. That's true. You're like, uh, I think what? anyway. I start now like a big whoop. Don't want the diaper wearing years anyways. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> right. So I, I miss drooling on myself in a rocking chair. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Big deal. Start, right. right. Start with the scotch. I don't know. I miss, I think, I, you guys have almost convinced me to take there it up. Go. See? You know, and, and something else that went up over the pando, drug abuse. Mm. Yeah. We've seen we've seen huge increases that and I just think it's we have to make an acknowledgement. Yeah. That for some people, whether it was uh, work related, whether it was health related, uh, uh, just the overall 
concern for what was going on around you, a lot of people turn to what you could certainly argue are some destructive things. When you say cigarette sales go up, there aren't enough livers to go around. How about that? And (laughs) drug abuse and drug overdose deaths have skyrocketed in the last 18 months. so sad. What is wrong with us? As a society. We can't cope. We yeah. do not. No, I'm being. Uh, yeah. I'm not. That's, that's I don't think true. it's a joke. Yeah. We, we do not cope well with with stress, with anxiety, with a variety of things. And maybe this is you know this is harkening back to my mental health issues, which are are long, varied, and involve a lot of therapy and medicine. Exactly. <laughs> but that I almost feel like maybe I'm better prepared to cope with this because I've been through things in the past oh yeah that I, I you know that because i have coping mechanisms or i understand you know kind of how therapy worked or 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 medicine you know that i i i get a sense that maybe because i've already been in that trough yeah i kind of i kind of know how to deal with it right or here's another thought maybe people just don't know how to cope with change you know that too just we went people from, are people ooh. are very resistant to change yeah absolutely they are and just in, and you know what one of the frustrating things is, and I learned this from boss a long time ago, the people that aren't afraid of or are not resistant to change, they tend to be really successful. Yeah. They tend to be really successful mm-hmm. because they can boom, quickly adapt, move on, move forward Pivot quickly. It doesn't, it doesn't scare them. You know, I got to tell you pretty darn, uh, pretty darn amazing game. I know. I know. Last weekend, we need to give a shout out to the Fighting Alliance. Yes, we do. They were fine. Oh, fantastic. Who won a pretty darn amazing game. When I say amazing game. How about greatest game ever? You (laughs) certainly can make an argument that beating nationally ranked Penn State Nittany Lions Mm -hmm. in not one, not two. Not three, not four, not five, not six, eight, seven, not eight. But nine overtimes? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Nine over. Okay. Best game ever. Wow. Call me as one that didn't know there were such a thing as nine overtimes. Well, I guess you keep playing till somebody wins, right? They don't have ties in college. No. Foosball. So, yeah. There's no tying in football. Yeah. There's no tying in football. No. There is in the NFL, which is a whole other argument. Yeah. Nine overtime. How about that? You know, and it really does, it says something. Not just a nine overtime win against a team, a nine overtime win against Penn State. I know. Which are a really good program. And so I think you can certainly look at and you can see that that U of I is on the right track. Yeah, and there's a there's an athlete, Chase Brown. He is okay. just I love watching him. He is a twin brother. They both play for, for the Atlanta football team. He had he had two hundred and twenty three rushing yards, the most ever by an opponent at Penn State's Beaver Stadium. Ran up and down. Penn State's field. Oh, my God. That is fantastic. 123. I mean, that's more than most players get in a season. Well, and, you, and you, know, one, 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 you know, one of the struggles has been, and then this brings the, the line at a three and five, but even those some of those losses, oh, yeah. they were razor thin. The team's been right on the edge, and have they, have they really turned that corner right now? I hope so.
I think, I, think they have. I, I know somebody thinks they certainly have. I know, too. Coach B Yay! is on with us right now. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Sorry for the Congratulations on last week's uh, big win. I know you're always looking forward. Uh, we'll get out. You know, I get it. But nine overtimes? I mean, what was your blood pressure like on the side? Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, as you can tell, I'm built for pressure moments. Right? No, no but I, I, I give a lot of credit to our players, um, coaches. Uh, they sustain the moment. And, you know, really, uh, the, 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 the overtime change, you know, was – meant to reduce the number of plays. And in a way, yeah. it sounds kind of weird after nine overtimes, but really uh, after the third overtime, we only had 14 plays that took place. And I've been, I was sitting there Saturday night and um, they showed the six longest overtime games in college football history. And I'd been a part of three of those six. Really? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and, and it was just kind of crazy to look at it. And uh, unfortunately we've been able to win all three. So I probably have a different perspective than we had <laughs> lost them, but I, I I really thought the format was something fun, and it kept us engaged. I think the players as well as the coaches. Coach, I, I, you your team is so just gelling. I mean, even from the first win, the first game, just you have something very special with your team, and I, I think they can see that too. I appreciate it, Andrew. I, I tell you what, um, you know, the part that was really fun uh, coming in a year ago in December was uh, to get to know these guys. It was a, it came full circle at Penn State. That was the first time. I'd laid eyes on them in person. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I went and watched the Penn State game a year ago, uh, the last game of the year, and then to come full circle last week and now know who they are, what they're about, know them personally. Uh, I give Lovey and his staff a lot of credit. They, they, they recruited a lot of really good people that, that have bought into us and have trusted the faith, even maybe when it was a little bit uh, uh, you know, unclear. Uh, but I would tell for the most part, it's, it's been an awesome group to work with and hopefully it's going to get even better this week. Um. I know that you, you listen, being around Coach B, as we have, I know. It's about the players. It's about the team. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on being named Coach of the uh, coach of the Week. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know this. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world, right? So yes, sir. Oh, yeah. We have Rutgers Week, and we're jumping into that prep. But, but yeah, it's fun, especially for our players. These guys haven't got a lot of recognition over the last, uh, you know, several years. And, you know, to have – uh, done something that they've only done three times in, in the last 50 years to beat a top 10 opponent on the road was, was fun for them, but I think fun for their families, right? Uh, their sure. moms, their dads, their brothers, their sisters, their high school coaches, all the people that love them got to share that moment with them, and uh, hopefully we put that to bed Sunday night and moved on to Rutgers. Yeah, because oh, yeah. It, 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 none of that matters if you, if you don't play well against Rutgers. How do you manage that uh, that emotional, uh, uh, you know, you come off of this high. Yeah. And, I mean, that was a high. You, you looked at the reaction of the players, the coaches, everybody, uh, through the roof. How do you how do you get them engaged in that Rutgers game now? How do you, how do you maintain that focus? Well, Bruce, one of my favorite roles as a whole head coach is, is the humbler, right? So, um, you know, even though they were able to put it together last Saturday and do all those good things, uh, we, we quickly turned the page on Sunday. Uh, I, I actually adjusted our schedule Sunday so that we lessened the uh, review of Penn State and jumped into more preview of, of Rutgers. So just to kind of flip the switch on them and let them know the urgency Tuesday, Wednesday, same thing, and then now Thursday here today, uh, we got some weather situations going on, so we had to adjust our schedule. And our players actually, you know, handled that very well. I think they like change. It's today's world, right? These kids learn to adapt yeah. to the moment, and uh, hopefully that's going to happen today, this weekend as well. How many uh, text messages did you get? Uh, it's fair to say several hundred. A bunch. <laughs> <laughs> haven't haven't quite got through them all. Uh, it was 
you know, I was very fortunate for that to be the hundredth win, only my third win here at Illinois. But um, you know, I heard from players that uh, NFL I, I, I was busting two guys' chops who were in Napa Valley and, and <laughs> on a weekend wine date with their wives. I said, "Man, you guys have changed, right?" So, yeah. it's, just, <laughs> it's just uh it was awesome to hear from, especially you know everybody knows that the NFL players and the great ones are going on football, but it's fun to hear from you know. Players of mine that now are in Houston, they're in, sure. in Cleveland, they're in Washington D.C., they're in Miami, Florida, they're he's a, all over the country. He's a proud you know, Papa, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coach B, thank you so much. Best of luck with Rutgers this weekend, and congratulations again, not only on the big win but being named Coach of the Week. Uh, we wish you the best. Appreciate it very much. I love. Yeah, I and I. Rutgers coming to town. That game Saturday, October thirtieth. That's a Saturday, eleven a.m. You can hear it right here on eight ninety WLS. Drive in will be okay. Your drive home Not might so be much. moist. Okay, <laughs> just gonna nice way to put it. Might be moist. Uh, gonna gonna help you out with that. Um, so I have a variety of unpopular opinions. I'm joined in the studio by by Andre Darlis, DJ Cheese. I even have information Miranda over there. But one of my unpopular opinions is that the minimum wage in the United States should be 0.0. I don't think this is, a, this is unpopular. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but your and reasoning behind it is... is so here's good. my reasoning. If, first off, we needed a minimum wage, explain to me why, and don't take my word for it, BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics. You can go right now. How many Americans currently work at the federal minimum wage? How many Americans? Like percentage-wise? Yeah. How many? 40. 40% work at minimum wage. Jeez, what do you think? When you work for minimum 15%. wage. 15%. 15, yeah. It's three. Oh, so 3% wow. of Americans work at minimum wage. So if you believe that we need a minimum wage, you first then have to explain to me, why are 97% of workers overpaid? Yeah. Why are they not making the minimum wage? Because the argument is, well, if there wasn't a minimum wage, they'd pay zero. Okay, why are 97% of people then making more than what the minimum they have to do? And the labor market right now, I think you could make an argument, is showing exactly why a minimum wage is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Costco. Oh, I like Costco. I there. love Costco. Costco is paying its employees, I would say, rather handsomely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But they told their employees last week that they're going to increase their minimum wage from 16 bucks an hour to $17 an hour starting Monday. So I, I asked the question, for those of you that believe... That we must have a federal minimum wage. What enticed Costco to do that if it wasn't government telling them they had to give employees a dollar more an hour? Oh, that's a good question. I can help you with the answer. Yeah, tell me. Costco wants to attract and retain quality employees. Yeah, yep. That's why they're paying a hell of a lot more Mm -hmm. than the minimum wage. Yeah. And why they would continue to. And the idea that somehow like, they're doing that because it's a business decision for them. It yeah. works for them. It does. And do you know one of the best things of of Costco are the samples? 
Okay. I, okay. I, I just I love, never do that. I love really? the samples. Yeah. I so, don't eat in Costco. And I tend to talk to people because I, I started my first no. job years ago was at Jewel. So I, t- I tend to talk to people at the grocery store. So I asked the, I asked one of the ladies, she was serving like little pieces of sausage and or something. I said, no, it was cheese. She was serving cheese because she told me she met a woman who worked at the cheese factory for 40 years. So I said, I was just curious. I said, this is a personal question. You don't have to answer this if you don't want. But do you get a cut of every, you know, pound of cheese that you oh, yeah, sell? Yeah, yeah. They do. What? But oh, really? But it's only, so the sample people at Costco do get a little bit extra, but it's only between certain hours. So between, say, oh. 10 a.m. and noon, that portion of cheese that they sell. They're hustling cheese. That's exactly it. I did not know that. Or whatever their product is, but it's between, and maybe it's not 10 to noon, maybe it's 11 and 1 or 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., whatever it is, they have certain hours for if they sell a certain amount of that particular product, they get a bonus. I think that the labor market right now, Costco, McDonald's, Apple, the fact that everyone is, is struggling to find workers, Again, proves my point that the minimum wage is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely irrelevant because you have people that won't take the job at 15 bucks an hour. Right. Okay. So what did the minimum wage do for that? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. When you start to understand that your skills, the industry you work in, your, your work effort, your attitude. Yeah actually impact how much money you make one hell of a lot more than an arbitrary number set by the government you'll come over to my side of the fence and realize we shouldn't have a minimum wage i've worked for minimum wage one time in my life and i only made minimum wage probably i was 17 okay and i'd only made it for a while before i got a raise yeah at the amc elcon six movie theaters in tucson arizona i was an usher I've been in show business my whole life. Yeah, right? <laughs> I've been in show business in forever. The, in the movies. <laughs> and I quit because I got a job in radio. Dude, I mean, like that's the only thing. I, and so I didn't you, make minimum wage when I worked in radio. They, they paid more than minimum wage. You just say you took a pay cut, probably, to <laughs> go into radio. <laughs> but it's like, you know, and, and it's I, I got I to harken back. And I, I love quoting my dad from time to time. Uh, Joe, Jose, we call him. And Jose would say... Because uh, I remember one time going, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. And my dad said, well, actually, you're getting paid exactly what you're worth. Yep. And the minute somebody wants to pay you more, you're worth more. Don't oh, forget that. I like that. It's, Thanks, Jose. That's how it works. Words of wisdom from Jose. Hey, good morning. Bruce, Andrea, and Cheese. And you know what? The Blackhawks are in the news for all the wrong reasons. Besides the fact that they're not playing very well. Right? Start the season off. Uh, there's been this slow-moving train wreck of a story that goes back 11 years Mm -hmm. and has led to million-dollar fines, general manager being fired, the entire organization. I don't think it's over. Mm -mm. I I don't, you know, this, this is, this sex scandal, sex abuse scandal continues to unravel for the, for the Hawks. I've heard Nick Gale speaking about it all morning and, and, and really one of the things that's furthered it this this morning, and that you may not have, have heard, is we now know who 
the player who was abused, the player who made the accusations, we know who know who that is. Yeah, we know who John Doe is. The player at the center of that Blackhawks sexual assault controversy is Kyle Beach. He he wanted to reveal his identity. Uh, he told TSN Canada Sports Center that he is the John Doe who was cited in the lawsuit and that investigation of how the Blackhawks handled these allegations. He said he made the decision to reveal his identity one day after this report was released because he doesn't want the same thing to happen to other players that happened to him when he was a teenager. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because this does go back. He was a, what, a first-round draft pick. He would have been... Uh, Pretty young guy. 19, I mean, 20, yeah. 19, 20 years old at the yeah. time that he was drafted. This is your, you've reached your goal. I mean, you've been, I mean, you get drafted in the first round in any professional sport. Not only the money, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to live my dream. I'm playing in the NHL, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he has this incident. Incident with uh, the way it was. The coach was a, a video coach, a coach that did videotape practices and games. I think and kind of went over video. That's the way it was kind of described, right? Yeah, Brad Aldrich was the video coach, for and the that there was this inappropriate. It was an incident. You know, the seventy-one. I did. I, str- I, I struggled to. Right. It's, it's it's salacious, and I'm not trying to be. No, no, not at all. And and he alleges that they were uh, on the road. Uh, out of town and they were at a hotel they went to he went to he voluntarily went to his this coach's hotel room and they started watching you know hockey hockey videos and the allegations say that that turned then to porn pornography was put on the screen by this coach and then continued to go and then he alleges that he was assaulted by this coach and and told he said he thought everybody knew because he talked about it and then he reported it to another coach who he said at the time was going to report it to the top brass but nothing ever happened, no. and nothing ever happened, and 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 really, this is Kyle Beach in his own words. I mean, I you know, the, I think one of the problems is, and really, what kind of made him come forward was that that coach Aldridge, Aldridge yeah, then left the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Went to another hockey organization mm-hmm. and allegedly did the same thing. It happened again. Right. And then Kyle Beach sees this happening all these years later and says, Oh my God, that happened to me as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things he said that this is the year 2010 when they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And Kyle Beach, after being sexually assaulted by a coach, He's in watching the, the the celebrations, and he saw this. I mean, this is a, a classic example. The thing that makes this different is it's a guy. Right, right. Because we've heard this story from the female perspective many times. Yes, yes. You're right. I, I ran it up the chain, and nobody did anything. The classic, you know, me too. And the threats right? of... You're, I, I'm in charge of your career. I know the coaches. Harvey Weinstein, exactly. right? I mean, Great exactly. casting couch, exactly. Mm-hmm. Casting couch, because yeah. I, I, you know, I look at this and I, I, I give him credit and and for the courage to come forward and speak about this because it can't be easy on on a variety of of levels. Mm-hmm. On a variety of levels, yeah. you're a professional athlete. You're a big tough guy. Sure. See pictures of him as a big strapping young man. Mm-hmm. Why would you let somebody do that to you? Right. Right, that, that's got to be going through people's heads. Sure. Why didn't you make a bigger stink about it? 
Why didn't you demand? Or you know, if it was such a big deal to you, sure, lawyer up or yeah, or, yeah. But I also got to think if you're 19, 20 years old, you just got your first job, literally. Yes, your first paying job happens yeah. to be a, a a hockey player in the NHL. Yeah, for the Chicago Blackhawks. Are you calling the cops on your coach? No. Are 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 you rocking the boat like this? Are you thinking, oh, oh, this is how it works? Oh, maybe everybody, or maybe this will just go away, right? It's really, uh, um, it's really heartbreaking when you see him talk about this because it it's obviously yeah. it affect him and still continues uh, to affect him. And and again, I don't think the story's over for the Hawks yet. No. I really don't. Sadly enough, I don't think it's over. Might be one of the reasons why you need to have your faith in humanity restored. Andrea says she could do it for right Well, now. this is a great story, you guys, out of Detroit. A little six-year-old girl, Leighton Vian. She wanted to go trick-or-treating, but she has some physical challenges. Mm-hmm. She has. Uh, she was born with myotonic dystrophy and is unable to walk. Oh. So her neighbor, a retired Ford engineer, Tim Kasser, one of the neighbors and parents' friends, designed a seven-and-a-half-foot contraption and created Cruella DeVille's car for her. Oh. So she can ride in this. She can be Cruella DeVille. Her little brother's going to go as one of the Dalmatians. And she's going to be seen trick-or-treating throughout the neighborhood. And now her school district is saying, hey, you know what? Let's try to make the holiday more inclusive for everyone. He said he just wanted to do something nice and see his daughter's friend go trick-or-treating. So she's going to be doing that in her community. That is outstanding. Isn't it great? I love it. The brother goes as a Dalmatian. That's I know. Isn't that fantastic yeah. in and of itself? <laughs> so oh, my goodness. Thank you. Restoring our faith in humanity yeah. today. Always. Goodness Thanks knows we needed some. And, 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 you know, thank you very much for being in with I us today. I love being here with All you right? guys. Andre Darlis with uh, filling in for Judy. We appreciate that. You know, we also appreciate MG and the Posse. They're over there in Mission Control. They hit all the buttons and make things happen. Yep. Uh, our infant producer, Miranda, on the other side of the double-pane bulletproof glass. Shout out to her. DJ Cheese, he's working the ones and twos all morning long. Thank you, sir. And Nick Gale, who will continue to keep you updated on the news, the traffic, weather. Mm-hmm. It's going to become a little more yeah, important this afternoon. A little afternoon. wet this afternoon. I'm, 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 I'm giving away the story ahead of time, <laughs> but you might want to pay it close attention. All all that's coming up next right here on 890 WLS. The Bruce St. James Show on 890 WLS.